And all of God's people said, Amen. It is a privilege to be with you. It's such an honor to share here in my home church. I didn't know I was such a, a no-account member until I heard from Larry. But, <laughs> but anyway, such, such, a, such a privilege to be here uh, and see so many faces that have meant so much uh, to my family. Um, it's just an honor. And it's also a, a delight and an honor to proclaim to you the coming of the kingdom of God. To that end, I'd like you to find your place in Mark, the fourth chapter. We, we will read three parables of the seed that Mark clusters together from Jesus' teaching. It seems that these three read together give us some sense of the kingdom's coming and its character. And as you're finding your place, I'll tell a little parable of my own. In North Fort Worth, the chain link fence divided Debbie and I our first home as uh, we were married there in Fort Worth. Uh, from our neighbor's property, uh, landscaping was not high on the priority. I did mow the yard. Uh, come to think of it, that's still what I do. I just mow the yard. But uh, that's another issue. I remember the neighbor, though, complaining or worried. She said, you know, I, I've planted this. I'm fearful, though, it will be too aggressive. I worry that after a while, it will take over everything. <laughs> it seemed to be a, a humble little beginning in planting, and I thought to myself, these things can be managed, you know. But sure enough, I was busy working in school, would mow the yard. It's not like it was invisible to me. And surely I did note a little encroachment here and there, but nothing it seemed like would cause me alarm or worry. And I remember vividly looking out the back window, and all of a sudden, this monstrous thing she had planted had taken over my entire fence row, the shrubs and the vine we had on the fence. It had it in a deathly grip, and there it was, just as she had worried it had taken over everything. Now, the second and third parables we'll read together seem to sort of mirror my little parable, or rather, of course, mine mirrors there. But start with me, if you would, in a parable that you know quite well from Mark, the fourth chapter. We'll read first in verse 2. And Jesus began to teach them many things in parables. And his teaching, and in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell on the path, and the birds came and ate it up. And other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and it sprang up quickly since it had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. And now other seed fell on the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. Still other seed fell into the good soil and brought forth grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirty, sixty, even one hundredfold. And he said, if you'll allow me to over-translate, let anyone who has ears to listen, 
listen. Notice it sort of ends on the note it began with, right? We read first, listen, he says. And now again, listen. The idea is you could hear it and not get it. You could hear it and hear it but not understand it. And so the warning. Verse 10 And when he was alone with those who were with him, his company, along with the twelve, they asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those who are outside, everything comes in or through parables. In order that, notice the purpose clause, and now the quotation from Isaiah chapter 6, in order that... They may indeed look, but not perceive, that they may listen and not understand, so that they may not turn and be forgiven. We'll come back to that mystery. For now, let me ask you to look down to verse 26, a second seed parable. And in this seed parable, we have a neglected seed, one that's unattended, and yet God brings it to fullness In verse 26, he also said, The kingdom of God is as if someone were to scatter seed on the ground and would sleep and rise night and day, and the seed would sprout and grow, and he does not even know. He doesn't notice it. He doesn't pay attention to it. And the earth produces for itself first the stalk, then the head, then the full grain. To verse 30, yet another parable of the seed. And he also said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or the parable, what parable would we use for it? It comes to him. He says, it is like a mustard seed, which is sown upon the ground, and it's the smallest of all the seeds. And yet, when it is sown, it grows up and becomes the greatest of all the shrubs and puts forth large branches that the birds of the air can make nest in. They can use it as well for shade. And these three parables give us something about the kingdom of God. Now notice I would suggest to you this, that the parables recognize that there is a sort of humble beginning to the kingdom's work. If these parables are to guide us, they're to suggest to us that kingdom business is risky, that there are powerful forces at work to thwart it. It can be restrained. It can be uh, restricted. You can push back against the kingdom's onset. And surely enough, Jesus notices in this first parable that you know so well, the parable of the sower, that things can go terribly wrong. He elaborates that he is the sower, that the seed is the gospel, and that there are different responses. You have heard perhaps his interpretation or his explanation of these. There is great evil that restrains us. Satan can take away the seed before it even seems to gain entrance into a person's, well, soil. Or, notice how many things can go wrong. The seed could fall on ground that 
has only a shallow layer of dirt before the rock. And while the seed seems to sprout up and be going gangbusters at first, let the first problem of trial and tribulation come and it withers. It has no investment into the soil and no strength. Or yet again, wow, how things can go wrong. The seed could land in a place where, well, there are so many other competing interests. Thorns, thistles, weeds seem to call for all the attention. And then this posture of divided loyalty, there's the inability to sort of let the seed take hold and bear its fruit. One wonders how this process ever goes forward when you think about it. When you think about how many things can go wrong and yet... Jesus' listeners noticed and and they knew full well that this sort of process goes forward all the time, every season. Because the third soil, a fourth soil, suggests this, that the seed gets to the good soil. And the good soil has what it needs. And sometimes, remarkably, remarkably, when you think of it, it seems like normal and everyday, but really it's remarkable When all this does come about and it all comes into sync, God brings this remarkable harvest 30, 60, 100 fold. Or how about parable number two? Perhaps this is a a, a seed that gets cast aside in an unexpected place. And yet, although the farmer never attends to it. He never looks after it, never thinks about it. He goes about his life and so on. But remarkably, we're told this seed grows and comes to full fruit. God gives this increase. And I'm sure it was visible if he would have gone over and cast his eye over it, on it or gave it attention. And yet he didn't give it attention. And yet the seed still came to full fruit. It's God who does this remarkable kingdom work. And then finally, this mustard seed. Watch out. You may see where the gospel looks well humble when you think of its size and influence. You may think of some humble little place with a few worshipers this day. But don't you disparage the kingdom work. There are places in this world where great forces of evil crush and brutalize Christians because they gather like we gathered this day. And you wonder, you wonder how are folks going to ever make it? Are they ever going to be able to go forward? What will the kingdom work look like there? How will it be sustained You just think it looks so small. It just seems like its promise is so negligible when you look at the power of this world and the brutality and strength of the forces who oppose the gospel. You just wonder how progress would ever be made. But Jesus' parable tells us differently. Watch out. Don't bet against the mustard seed. It seems small. Its beginning is humble. But watch out. One day you'll look out. And it will have taken over. Now, dear friend, do you hear what I'm exhorting? I'm trying to hear this text. I'm trying to share it with you. I'm trying to hear it in my own heart. And as I seek to hear this text, it seems like we have something to learn here. 
That we must learn to live with an awakened sense of the kingdom's strength and power. That we must be attentive to the great kingdom work that is at work. And yes, you may look at any moment or season and it looks small. You may even think it comedic. It doesn't seem to be a player. It doesn't seem to be strong and powerful. It can in no way withstand the great brutal forces against it. And yet you and I are the ones who know the secret. The secret that Jesus is the king of the kingdom. And his great work is at work in small and simple ways all around the world. And don't you count him out. Because you must have hope. You know that he works his work in these remarkable ways. This mysterious saying of Jesus bothers us. Remember verse 12? I told you I'd come back to it. Here we are. Why would Jesus quote this Old Testament verse so sober in the first place? It comes from Isaiah chapter 6, the great chapter on worship. Remember where Isaiah's call is modeling the worship for us. We come, we acknowledge God's greatness, we recognize our, our, our sinfulness, we call for forgiveness, and we receive commission, uh, forgiveness, and then we're commissioned to go out in the world. Remember? But if you read on in that passage, there's a very sober ending to it. Surely enough, Isaiah is called to go and be the spokesman for God, but he is warned, when you go, you're not going to get many responses. Did you know that? But I want you to go. In the language of our our story, I want you to sow, even though you're not going to see many responses. But he did promise Isaiah, although most folks will turn you away, there will be a very small group, a remnant, who will respond, and that will be the beginnings of my new people. And by the way, I think Jesus is subtly saying his folk are the remnant of this new kingdom. His new kingdom is what is at stake here. And so it seems odd to us that Jesus would put something mysterious in the way between an outsider and the kingdom, but perhaps you would understand it this way. Jesus doesn't want them to come to some sort of premature judgment on the matter. He doesn't want them to to accept prematurely and and supposedly be burned up maybe by the sun. Or he doesn't want them to reject on the wrong grounds either. You see, entering into the kingdom is not just a matter of some simple decision. It's it's not a matter of toothpaste or or grade of gasoline. It is a matter of, of great importance. And you don't just make it capriciously. You have to, well, sort of live and stew and let this kingdom ruminate and live within it with like these stories. You can imagine yourself as characters within the story. You have to think them over. There's no simple one, two, three kind of response that will lead you there. This kind of kingdom calls for you to recognize some need on your part and some transformation. And the difference is this. Remember those inside the kingdom, those who know the secret Jesus suggests are the ones who know him. The ones outside don't know him. And it takes faith. You can look out at this world and easily write Christianity off in so many quarters because it seems like the root of Christianity is so feeble and frail. But my word to you is this. Don't do it. The kingdom, its beginning is small and humble. But one day, We will look out, and its victory will be final. 
You could even look at Jesus' own life this way, right? You could look at him and think it's kind of comic that a person with 120 followers or so at the end, and even most of those seem to run for cover when he gets in trouble, and he's crucified and put to death. He's buried, my goodness, like the seed, right? And then what? God raises him from the dead, and what he initiated there is still marching through the world powerfully, And those who have eyes to see can see the kingdom being well worked. They can see its progress. They can see it being carried forward. And again and again, they live in a joyous participation of the kingdom. Just a few weeks ago, a a dear friend met uh, just not a mile from here. We shared dinner together. He was a parishioner where I pastored, and he endured five years of my preaching, and he's still in church, you know, so that's a really encouraging thing. And, and uh, in fact, he's a remarkable believer, and he blessed my soul on this occasion. He, we met, and the season of my life was one of sort of exhaustion, and I was parched and a little barren, perhaps, and, and he told me this wonderful kingdom story. You see, he has invested in this ministry in Mexico. It's not grand by most standards. It's, it's not spectacular, or, but he sees it as a genuine kingdom place. And so for 10 years, he's gone down and brought a team and held Bible school for them and helped them along the way. He admires especially the work of this one pastor. And this pastor is a great mentor to other pastors. So people who are called to preach, he allows them to share in the rotation, and it's sort of a training place for new preachers to go out and start new churches. And my friend is taken by the whole, equa- uh, the whole operation. He tells a story of some months before he went down. He was shopping with his wife, something he says he typically avoids with great energy, but this time it just fell that way. And there he was, and milling about in um, the, the men's area, he came across a, a a small rack of shirts, and he noticed that they were very fine dress shirts. He also noticed they were small and could do him no good. But he admired them. Although very expensive, they were marked down to next to nothing, about $2.50 a shirt. He just admired them. How can shirts that this expensive be two fifty? The clerk came up and helped him and warned him, you know, you won't be able to wear any of these shirts. And he said that he'd uh, thought that through. And, but he said, it's just such a great deal. I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to buy these shirts. How many of these would you like? She says, no, I want all of them. He was thinking about Mexico, although it was sort of odd because the, the clothing they shared down there, they would buy in bulk. And... Um, or that would be given by church members uh, here to take down there. And he didn't know exactly what he would do with all these fine dress shirts, but he took them to Mexico. And when he got there, he noticed that one young preacher that he'd really admired the year before who'd surrendered to preach was not up for the rotation. And when he asked him, the young man told him, his head hung. He had torn his dress shirt. And when he came in, it's just his T-shirt. The pastor told him, no, no, no. You have to have at least a dress shirt before you can preach. He told my friend, my wife and I have been praying for months that God would allow us to save enough to buy a dress shirt. My friend just beamed across the table from me. And as if, though, just to pour in some kingdom reality into my life, 
He said, Hatchet, don't you see? God allowed me to be a part of his kingdom work. I don't know about you, but I love the idea that some simple stirring and obedience on my part might be answering the prayer of some Christian far away that I don't even know who prays and prays for the needed hand. He beams again even bigger. I don't know he can smile any bigger than this. And he says, Hatchet, don't you see? It's so wonderful. Not only does he have a dress shirt, and not only is he back in rotation preaching, but for the next 15 times he preaches, he won't even have to wear the same shirt. (laughs) The Lord is good. Uh, Exhausted from schedule, this was just like ointment. And the simple reminders of the kingdom come back to me, and I share them with you. You know, the kingdom's work is not yours to do. You sow, right? Who grows? It's the Lord. And just because the kingdom's work is not flourishing or is not grand or does not make the headlines, this little place in Mexico would never appear on the headlines of the New York Times or the London Times. But don't disparage it. It's kingdom work like that that will take root and rise up. And you and I must live with a sense of anticipation. We're the people who know who Jesus is. We celebrate him. Did you hear it right here in our own worship? We proclaimed him as king today. We gave him our praise and adoration. We've got the secret And yet, we can sort of forget, can't we, and grow tired and grow hopeless. And it's not fitting for us who know the king. You and I must be people who leave this place in ready anticipation to see the kingdom work, maybe small, maybe imperceptible, maybe unnoticed, but watch out, the kingdom is at work, and we should join with the kingdom. We should bless the kingdom. We should participate in the kingdom, and we should live in anticipation that one day when we look out, the whole world will know and acknowledge that Jesus is king. And if you are here today, And in your own journey, you've never come to this place where you've acknowledged him as king. I urge you this day, don't miss the point of this parable. If you look out and use the wisdom of this world to look at what's on top or what seems to have the leverage at this moment or that moment, you may miss it. But God can do something in you. He can give you eyes to see. And you can look out and you can see the kingdom at work. And he can begin this kingdom even in you. And it may seem small and imperceptible and somewhat unremarkable. And I can quite assure you it will not make the headlines. But what he begins in you will take root. And I say just watch out. Because the kingdom will 
triumph. Will you pray with me? Gracious Lord, we pray, make us ready citizens of the kingdom. Make us eager. Give us anticipation and ready our hearts to share in the wonderful kingdom work. And Lord, we pray, let all of us come to acknowledge you as king this day. Let someone who's here come for the first time and ask for forgiveness of sin and join their life with you and start this pilgrimage that will last forever. Let all of us acknowledge your kingship. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.